morning. It's really great to be with you. I'm Dana, one of the pastors on staff, and we are continuing in a series in Matthew. And Matthew uh, was one of the followers of Jesus, and he was one of the 12 apostles. And as he wandered around following after Jesus, afterwards he wrote down many of the stories that he witnessed or heard from Jesus. And um, I'm just so excited to be in this next section that we're going to talk about uh, a test that Jesus went through. But before I get to Jesus' story, I want to hear a little bit more about your story. So I want you to really respond to this, okay? So how many of you, whether you're in the room or in the tent or online, how many of you like to take tests? Go ahead, anybody, there's like five or six in the room here. Most of us are like, you know, I don't know, I'm not sure what the brain waves go on with those who really like to take them, but sometimes people do. But most of us don't. But when you think about a test, a test is really not good or bad. It's, it's, it's neutral. A definition of a test is it the means by which the presence, quality, or genuineness of anything is determined a means of trial of the quality of something. So you're testing the quality of something. If you were going to purchase a car, you would test it out. You do a test drive, see how fast it goes, see if there's a lot of power to it, or maybe a used car. You wanna make sure it's still working properly after the previous person. There's all kinds of tests that we have to take in life, right? Like we have our school tests, and that's what a lot of us think about. But then there is the driver's test, so you can actually then test that car that you want to purchase. There is um, tests that we have for work, right? Sometimes for a, a new job or even along the way, there's different performance tests that you have to do to make sure that you are meeting the standard. There's a, like premarital test, you know, to make sure you're a good a couple that you want to get married. All kinds of tests. For most of us, as the hands in the room showed, most of us really um, are uncomfortable with testing. We don't, we get nervous. Me, I'm going to speak for myself, and I think that you, a lot of you are like me. I get nervous. I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not going to measure up to whatever the standard is. I, I get very anxious and try to stay away from as many tests as I can. And a lot of you may be like me, but we're going to look at a test that Jesus went through in just a moment. But before, before we do, would you pray with me, please? Father God, we uh, just come before you and we ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to you and whatever it is that you want us to hear today. Um, as we listen to the story of Jesus and what he went through, if there's something that um, you want us to glean, if there's something that you want uh, to be applicable in our lives, I pray that you would help us to see that. And then, Jesus, I thank you that you're, you were willing to go through this test for us, that we can learn from you. And we pray in your precious name. So I'm going to start reading Matthew 3:16 through chapter 4 verse 4. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, "This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased." 
If you were with us last week or you listened online during the week, you will know that this is what Jay spoke about last week, about Jesus' baptism and his experience there. And it gives you a greater context for what we're going to talk about today. But if you haven't heard that message, I would encourage you to go back and listen to it because it just gives such a fullness to what Jesus just, those verses that we just read is all about. But then starting with chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Now, there's, this is just four short sentences, really. But there's so much in this story of what Jesus went through. So I want to take a, I, I just want to slow down a little bit and I want to go back through each section and talk a little bit more about what, what was going on. And so the first word is then. Then. When did this happen? Mark in his gospel says at once, as at once, then right after this baptism, this beautiful experience that he had with the father, where the father said, you're my son and I'm pleased in you, that, that beautiful experience, right after that, this happened. What happened? Well, Jesus was led. Not, don't think by the hand, but he was prompted, he was compelled, he was guided by the, his spirit in him to do something. And what was he guided to? He was guided by the spirit. This is the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity. That dove that, ha that came down in his baptism is the same Holy Spirit that's now guiding him into another experience. So then Jesus was led by the Spirit to do what? Or to go where? Into the wilderness. When I think about wilderness around here, I think about a forest with a lot of trees. You know, like maybe I'm in the Santa Cruz Mountains and I'm wandering around or something. But probably the experience there was different for Jesus because in that territory where he was by the Jordan River, there's not a lot of forest or anything but there's a lot of desert and so oftentimes in the scriptures when the wilderness is is used it's actually desert with rocks and being alone and a lot of dirt and that kind of a thing but whether you think of trees and in the forest by yourself where there may, where it's maybe more beautiful or a desert experience think alone and not comfortable it, it, it's a hard experience. When a wilderness experience is talked about in the scriptures, it's a difficult experience. So Jesus was led right after this beautiful experience of his baptism into a very hard experience. And it tells us why he was guided there into the wilderness. He was guided to be tempted. A better word is actually test. Our word test that we've already talked about. Because he's not going to be tempted by God to do evil. He's going to be tempted. He's going to be tested by God to find out his genuine spirit and what's going on. How do I know that? 
Well, actually, there's a verse in James chapter 1, verse 13 that says, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. See, when we think of temptation, we think of maybe something out there that's nice and shiny that we're being tempted to grab or a food that we really like that we shouldn't eat that we want to so much. But see, God is testing Jesus to say, what are you made of? Are you really going to follow after being my son or not? But in the midst of that test, there is often a temptation that comes along with a test. Maybe your temptation when you were in school was to look over on your neighbor's test and get an answer or so forth, and you had to say, no, I've studied, I don't need that. I might fail, but I'm going to do it on my own. Whatever it looks like, but usually when a test is there, there is an opportunity to, to not do it correctly, a temptation that comes. So here, he's, he's tested by the devil or the tempter is used in another verse. But in our, in our culture, in our day right now, we think about, okay, what is the devil? Is he that like little cartoon character that runs around in a red suit with a pointy tail and a pitchfork? Because we're too sophisticated really to think about that kind of devil, which is good because that's not what it's like at all. Jesus' story, with the good of God, there's an evil spirit. There's an evil force that's in the spiritual realm. If you believe anything about Jesus' story, his story comes along with the evil presence that is against the good of God. See, the only way we can know this story about Jesus being in the wilderness is if he told it because he's the only one there. And as Jesus shared the experience, he talks about this tempter, the same tempter that comes in Genesis with Adam and Eve, to say, don't go God's way. God's goodness is not really true, but to tempt us to do something different. We're actually going to spend a lot longer on this in a series in, in August coming up. So I encourage you to kind of do a little bit of study about what that, that evil presence in the scriptures is all about and then come with some of your questions. We're, we're going to spend a, a lot of time on the tactics of the evil one, the Satan, the deceiver, the father of lies. All of those names are given throughout the scriptures for the evil presence in our world. We don't have to look very far to know that there is evil in our world. And there's evil in us, actually. And so we want to look at that a little bit more later on. But Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Spirit for this test. And then it says, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Don't you love that? Don't you love that we had to put that part in there? Jesus was hungry because he hadn't eaten any food in 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, like when I fast anything, like maybe you're doing something for Lent. I mean, it takes me like 40 minutes or four hours, whatever. And I'm like, nope, duh, whew, man, I, this, this fasting is, is no fun. But Jesus was there for 40 days and 40 nights and, 
and he was hungry all throughout, but for sure he was hungry after 40 days. What this also tells us is that Jesus is human. Yeah, he's the son of God, but he gets hungry just like you and me. In the midst of that wilderness experience, it was difficult for him. And at that time, after these 40 days, the tempter came to him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Have you heard those words before about being the son of God? Remember, just 40 days earlier with the baptism, that's what the heavenly father said to Jesus, the son of God. You are my son and I'm pleased in you. And now Satan comes with these voices Maybe it's just voices in his head. I don't know what it actually looked like. But he said, if you are, come on, let's prove it. Here's a test. And in that test, yes, Satan wants, the deceiver wants Jesus to do something that would be evil for him, that would be wrong. He tempts him, just as he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. No, God's not good. You can eat of that tree, sure, it doesn't matter. He knows that you will know more and be like him if you do that. He comes to Jesus and he says, yeah, prove it. If you're the son of God, turn these stones to bread. Now, could Jesus have done that? Could Jesus turn those stones to bread? Absolutely. I mean, he feeds 5,000 people plus on two fish and five loaves of bread. He could, he could do that just like that, instantly. His physical need of food could have been satisfied right there, all he has to do. I mean, he's called the bread of life, so he could have done this, absolutely, but not in his humanness, could he? That would have been doing something that would be outside of, of the confines of what God had asked him to do for his own provision right here. So Satan comes with these voices that says, man, let's provide for your own physical need. You are the son of God, prove it. Or maybe the voice also goes back to, really, you're a son? And your father guides you to this kind of experience and doesn't provide for you? What kind of father is that? Why would you want to trust him? the voices that come to Jesus. Jesus chose not to go the easy route, and he chose not to do it outside of what the plan was. And instead, he answers, it is written, man, mankind, people, shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus understands the temptation that the deceiver wants for him. And he says, no, I'm not going to do it that way. Instead of thinking only about my physical needs, I'm going to think about the relationship between me and my father. And I don't want to destroy that in any way. And he says, no. We don't live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. See, this is actually a verse. He quotes a verse from Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. 
And this is the situation in Deuteronomy as Moses is reminding the nation of Israel about their wandering, not for 40 days and 40 nights, but 40 years. 40 years because they had not trusted God to bring them into the promised land that he had promised that they could conquer. And they said, no, we can't do that. And prior to that, they had not trusted the Father to provide water for them or food for them. And this verse comes from that reminder as they're going to go now after 40 years of wandering where? In the wilderness. And this is given to them, and this is what the whole verse says. He, God, humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. See, God provided food for them. He provided bread for them. But he wanted to teach them that that's not just about our physical needs. It's about the relationship, and Jesus takes this verse and he uses it as he speaks to the devil, to the tempter, to the father of lies. It seems so simple. I mean, it's four little verses. It took me like less than about a minute to read it. The story seems simple, but it's not simple at all. This was a true test for Jesus. And he was hungry and he was lonely. But the story's full of even more meaning than that. Because Jesus, being the Son of God, and Israel, being the nation of God that were called the sons of God, they both were put to a test. And they will be put to more tests. And Jesus was able to pass the test. And over and over and over again, the nation of Israel did not pass their tests. They grumbled. They said, take us back to Egypt. We don't have food. We don't have water. We can't, we can't conquer those people. They're too big. They're giants. Over and over and over again, they went a different way and didn't, trust in God and his provision. But Jesus, no, he, he being the true son of God, trusted his father for all the provision that was needed. One of the commentaries on Matthew says it this way. The desert was the perfect training ground for Israel's faith. In the covenant story of Israel's relationship with God, tests were always occasions for temptation. And every temptation was a test. The pressure of desert life would either bring the best or the worst in people. That's the lesson Israel was supposed to learn. Trusting in God, trusting God in the wilderness is how the meek inherit the earth. And therefore, that's why Jesus had to go to the wilderness to be tested, tempted to reveal the best of Israel, the faithful child of God, the hope of the whole world. See, it wasn't just about Jesus. It was about the story, the bigger story, the nation of Israel, the son who didn't pass the test over and over again, 
and the son who passed the test over and over again. Matthew is a Jewish man writing to a Jewish audience. And because we don't oftentimes uh, get all those pieces, we miss it so much of the time that this is the story that, yes, it's about Jesus right now, what's happening, but it's also about the big picture of what God is doing and how at one time in the history, Jesus enters the world as the perfect son who obeys and follows and trusts the plan, even when it's hard, even when he's hungry. Such a beautiful picture that we often miss. And so I'm going to pause for just 30 seconds here. And before we move on to what else it, this story is about, to say thank you to Jesus for being the true son, the one who says no to the tempter and yes to the Father. So I'm just going to give you just 30 seconds for you to do that personally, and then I will do that for us corporately. Jesus, we do thank you for your obedience to the Father's plan. Thank you because you were the perfect representative of the obedience and what that looks like. And thank you that because of your obedience over and over and over again, you were one day able to die for the sins of all of us. And we praise you and we want to worship you. Amen. But it's really not just a story about Jesus and the Israel nation. It's also the story about us because there's things that we can learn from this. So what are some things that we can learn from here? Well, first, I, I think one of the first things is that there, there's going to be tests in our lives over and over and over again. There's tests in our lives. And in the midst of those tests, there's also temptations. I mean, but honestly, I mean, we're called sons and daughters of God, right, in Scripture, but we're not perfect like Jesus. So we're not going to always pass the tests. But maybe there are some things that we can learn so that we will pass more of the tests when they come to us and not just be tempted. There's the different ways that, that we can be tested. Let's just, I mean, they come in the good times, like Adam and Eve were in the perfect garden. They had a great relationship and walked and talked with God, and they came then. So in the good times, tests and temptations can come. They can come right after really mountaintop high experiences with God where God's spoken to us in a particular way, just as with Jesus when he said, you're my beloved son, I'm pleased with you. And, and boom, the test comes right after that. And tests can come in the really hard times too, the difficult times when we're hungry, maybe physically hungry, 
or maybe we're spiritually hungry. Maybe we don't have a job or we don't have quite enough in the bank to pay the bills. Maybe the tests come when we don't have the spouse we want or the children we want or whatever else you put it in the line because it comes in those hard times. And that's usually when we notice them. We don't always notice what's happening and the voices that happen in those good times, but oftentimes in the wilderness, we do. Difficult times, the wilderness times, the testings, they come from our own choices, from other people's choices, from circumstances in our lives, sometimes even from God because he wants us to grow and he wants us to see where we are in our walk with him. And so he brings a test to us, not to do evil, but to help us to see where we are. James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4 says it this way, Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Don't know how we do, but it's something we have to work on. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. That perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That's what tests do, don't they? They help us to see how we are growing, how we can become more mature, more complete, not lacking anything. But we have to persevere through them. We have to make the right choices in the middle of those tests. I think another thing that Jesus' story can can help us to know is that um, it's so easy to try to go our own way in the minute, midst of it. The voices that come in the midst of the tests and the temptations try to draw us away from what God has for us, even when in the good times. All the time, all the times of tests, remember, in the midst of a test, there's also a temptation. The Israelites saw it, Adam and Eve, Jesus, you and me. But in this, Jesus gives us a clue of what to do in the midst of the tests and the temptations. And he guides us to the word of God. He guides us to hang on to the things that God has said to us already. He guides us to the scriptures that he quoted. He went back over and over and over again to the Old Testament scriptures, and we have even more than that for us. And so the word that the truths of God, to learn them and then know them and hang on to them until those trials come, to prepare and to be ready for the tests that come our way. See, that's, that's why we get scared around tests, isn't it? Because we don't think we studied enough, right? We're not sure we studied the right things or we're doing the right things. But there is a preparation to it. Tim Mackey, uh, the co-founder of the Bible Project, says this about tests and about Jesus. See, here's the thing. Jesus was hungry before the test, and he was hungry after the test. He didn't, he, I mean, he didn't eat the bread. Now, eventually he did, but his circumstances didn't change. But in there, it was more than just about the food. 
So this is what Tim Mackey says. You can have food, clothing, shelter, but not, but not be truly human or flourish. The complexity of human psychology says we need, to, we need purpose, meaning, a story, a live, loving community of relationships to know and be known, to love and be loved. When humans are denied those things, we wither as human beings. To truly live, we need some word from the creator about who we are and what we're here for. How do you get that word? How do you get that word from the creator? You get it just like Jesus did. From the things that he's revealed to us in his written word, but also those times when he speaks to us. You're my son, in whom I'm well pleased. You're my daughter. I don't know where you are right now. I don't know what's going on for you. I don't know if you're in a good place, a place of need. But I know there's probably some kind of test going on for you right now. And in the middle of a test, there's usually a temptation. A temptation to do it your own way. A temptation to go away from the word of God. A temptation to build it on pride of yourself and what you've done. I don't need God because look what I've done. I have a good job. I have a lot of money in my banking account. And I also have great relationships. Why would I trust and need God? All of those voices that come along the way. I don't know where you are, but I do know there will be a time when you need to sink yourself into the word of God. You need to be prepared. So I encourage you to do that now before the test comes, before the temptation comes. There's all kinds of resources. Sure, we have good teaching, of course, but there's things reading the scriptures for yourself. So you are responsible for your own growth in knowing God's word. We have things coming up like the Lent devotionals leading up to Easter. Bible 365, where you read the Bible on your own and then gather once a week with a group of others to talk about it. Life groups. There's all kinds of resources, but oftentimes we don't look for those until we're in the middle of the test where we're not sure we're going to be able to stand up under it. And so I would encourage you to be ready for the tests that come. Know how God responds to you and how he feels about you and the truth of who he is, just as Jesus did. I'm going to close with this. Um, and if you've been around Westgate for a while, you know this part of our story. If you're newer to us, you may know little or none of it. But the greatest test that I've ever been through is um, that in just a couple of weeks, on March 22nd, it will be the 10th anniversary of uh, Stephen, my youngest son's death. His name was Clay, and he died on March 22nd of 2012. Please hear what I'm saying and what I'm not saying. We do not think that God took Clay 
to be with him to test us. God does not do evil in that way. But it was a test for us. It was a test for our faith. It was a test for our trust. One of the things that is most dear to us, our loved ones. And in the midst of that test, there were voices. There were voices that came to tempt me to not trust God or to tempt me to blame myself. Voices that said, if you were only a better mother, if you had only prayed more, if you had only called when you knew he was sick, if you'd only, if you'd only, how can you trust God? How would you still follow after him when your son died and you're a pastor and you've been following him all of your life? How can you trust that kind of God? Give up on all this stuff. And those voices came over and over and over. They still come occasionally, not as much as at the beginning. What I have to tell you is that I could have listened to those voices, and I did sometimes, definitely. But that's not what I wanted to listen to because I knew it was not the truth. So I went back to the foundation of God's word to find the truth and to hold on to that in the midst of the most horrendous of pain that you can go through. I tell you this not to have you feel sorry for us or anything else. I tell you to say, I know. I know what it feels like. And I know what the voices say. But Jesus has given us the foundation to be able to say, no, I trust in the Father. But you may need a word from him today. You may need something so that you can hold on and trust in God. And so if you need a particular word from him, ask him. And ask him over and over because he wants to give it to you. Dig into his revealed scriptures to see who he is. To truly live, we need some word from God, from the creator, about who we are and what we're here for. What word do you need? No matter what comes your way, what need you have, what voice of temptation is being thrown at you, remember this truth. We shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Father God, we want to know you more. Sometimes we don't. Sometimes we want you just to make it easy, and you don't always do that. Sometimes we just want the wilderness to change. We don't want to be hungry. But help us to hold on to the thought that in the midst of all of those things, 
you are there with us. And that we can hold on to your truths and trust in you just as Jesus did. Jesus, we thank you for being our perfect Savior that showed us the way to move through the tests. And we pray in your precious name. Amen.